Hi, I'm Nitan. And I'm Adam. And this is The Final Curtain, a mini-series brought to you by Stories from the East and West, featuring personal tales from the Eastern Bloc's collapse. For today's episode, we met with Chris Niedenthal, a photojournalist who traveled throughout Central and Eastern Europe, following the downfall of the Iron Curtain with his lens. Coming up on The Final Curtain. Dramatic eyewitness accounts of fighting in Bucharest. Police had forcefully beaten demonstrators in East Berlin. Thousands of Czechoslovaks shaking their house keys. The protest movement is now too big to be controlled. Good evening. It is over in Poland. Iron curtain across Europe, torn down. Chris Niedenthal, photographer, photojournalist, visual historian. <laughs> I was born in London, I'm a typical Londoner uh, of Polish descent. Uh, of course, this was the Poles who, came, who stayed in England after the war. Photography was my hobby, at first my hobby and then my profession. Uh, and the second thing I loved was, uh, was drumming. When I, I played with two other guys, just a, one, a one-time band, really, just for one night. And we played so well that somebody invited us to come to play at the at the Marquee Club in in London, which is where the Rolling Stones started and so on. So so maybe I should have listened to that. Poland in the 60s was was a, a difficult case really. It was uh, to live here then then must have been pretty tough. Um, but because it was tough, I think that the people are always much, much more interesting when, when there's a tough life to live. I just found the, um, the, the character of the, of the people, and especially the young people, so much more interesting, interesting than, uh, than my, my friends uh, and uh, people the same age in, in, in London. So I just kept on coming in the, in the summer for, on holiday, and I just enjoyed it. And it became more and more interesting for me, and uh, and then I decided to to come here for a bit for a bit longer, not on holiday, and uh, and here I am ever since. When I made made friends here in, in Poland in Warsaw, then I guess they all thought I was a sort of um, uh, an alien from outer space because I was interested in staying here, whereas they were all interested in in escaping or le- or leaving Poland as soon as possible, where I was doing everything possible to stay here for longer. You know, Poland wasn't interesting to anybody in in, in the in the seventies when I came here in seventy three. Nobody had really heard of Poland in the sense that uh, in a, it just wasn't on the map really. Um, if anybody heard anything about the the Soviet bloc, then it was it was it was the Soviet Union, not 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 Poland. Um, so it wasn't really very easy to sell p- stories or pictures from Poland because nobody was really interested in them. That's why the the pictures I used to shoot at the beginning was simply just normal features which could have been shot anywhere except that they were shot in Poland, like uh, um, a beehive museum or a, um, or, or a monk's fire brigade. I, mean, I was never interested in politics. This, this is the funny thing, because I became a, a political photographer in my later life, but at the beginning I, was, I had no interest in politics, and uh, I, I steered away from politics. Any, anything to do with politics I tried to avoid. Abemus papam! 
Sancte Romane Ecclesie Cardinalem Boitiwa. Then, of course, when, when the, Pope was, the Polish Pope was uh, elected, then I knew that I was in the right place at the right time. And slowly but surely, I, I, I sort of turned into, into politics. I'd swallow my pride and, and go into political photography because the Pope being Polish was, I guess you could say, it was a political move. Um, so, so, and, and that sort of uh, enabled me to make contact with magazines like, like Newsweek in America and so on. And that's where my career started, really. Who has taken the name of John Paul. This is quite an extraordinary surprise, Father O'Keefe. Absolutely. I, I didn't really work for the Polish press, so I had... I wasn't um, under the, the, the jurisdiction. I didn't have to be censored, you know. I didn't have to go to the censor to, to send anything out. Um, as a foreign journalist accredited in Poland, I could simply go to the, the, the press center, which, which would then sort of stamp my, the envelopes with my films and so on, and I could go to the airport and, and, and send, send the pictures abroad to, to Newsweek, in this case, by, by air freight. Um, the only problem, of course, was when, during martial law, when everything sort of closed down and we couldn't sort of send anything, or everything died uh, on the 13th of December, 81. shoot pictures of, of the of the soldiers and the, and the and the tanks and the armored personnel carriers so that that was difficult um, so every at the beginning all the pictures I took had to be from hiding uh, that picture of the apocalypse now which is simply the, the Moscow cinema in, in Warsaw where um, the, the film on the, build, the billboard said Czas uh, Apokalipsy uh, in Polish, which means apocalypse now. Uh, and underneath that, there was a, the, the, the soldiers had parked a, a big sort of armored personnel carrier. Um, so everything fell into place. It was a martial law in a nutshell because there was the Moscow as aspect, uh, what we thought of Moscow. Nobody, nobody in Poland liked Moscow in those days. Um, it was the, the film about, uh, Apocalypse Now, which was a very apt title for what was happening in Poland. And the, the, armored, the soldiers and the armored personnel carrier um, on the ground, uh, it was just everything. It, it was like as if somebody had organized it, actually. <laughs> it was just per perfectly, perfectly placed, and I managed to see it simply. It was, it was freezing cold outside, but I was, I was hot just from the nerves. Uh, from the adrenaline, um, but we managed to get the pictures and uh, and 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 and, then, and just ran away as quickly as possible.
the problem apart from actually shooting everything was the, was to get the the pictures out to the films out to New York because there were no, the aer- there were no airplanes the airplanes uh, all flights were cancelled to to and from Poland the airports were closed uh, so the only way out from Poland was was by by train or by car really by car was difficult in the sense that I didn't want to leave Poland myself because I was I had to photograph what was happening in Poland also petrol was rationed so so it might be difficult to get from Warsaw to the to the to, to Germany to Berlin um, on one tank or of fuel or whatever so so that could be a problem also I thought if 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 I left Poland um, if I managed to get through the borders uh, without a big control uh, then maybe they would simply say when I tried to get back into Poland again they'd say thank you very much um, goodbye and, and don't come back and so on uh, so so that wasn't uh, an option for me uh, the, a train was possible uh, but I simply decided at the, at the last moment to to simply uh, try and find a passenger in the, in the train who would take my films to, to Berlin or to West Germany at the last moment, I simply ran through the train. This was an evening train to to an overnight train to to Germany. I ran through the train, and at the last moment before the train left, I found a, a young German student who was working in Poland, uh, who was studying in Poland, and was going back for for Christmas. Uh, and I told him, "Listen, you, you know you know what's happening. Um, I'm a photographer. I'm working for Newsweek. Here's can you take these films? And uh, and here's a telephone number to call." In Bonn, when you, when you get home, and they'll they'll do the rest, and he did it. I mean, this was this was this was a miracle, of course, because you never you just never know. I have no idea who he was. I had no I have no contact with him. I didn't have time to get his name, address, or anything. When he got home, he simply called the number I gave him in in Bonn to the, the music bureau in Bonn, and he and they simply organized a, a motorcyclist courier. A motorcycle courier uh, to travel all all through Germany to to pick up the films, and uh, they got the films and sent them to New York, and everything worked. Magic. I guess 1989 was was the most the the the, the sort of most hardworking year I ever had. Yes, because it was it was really nonstop from January to the December. Uh, things just started happening. You know, the, the domino effect from from what happened in Poland and at the beginning was was worked fantastically and uh, and as I say everything started happening once Poland uh, had the roundtable talks and then and then the um, the elections in June but in between lots of other things were happening I was working for Time magazine in those days Time magazine um, thought that uh, they, they wanted to do a, a special issue on the, the new USSR, on the, on the new Soviet Union, because they thought that uh, the changes that were hanging in the air would, would be coming from the Soviet Union. They'd for, forgotten the fact that uh, that the Poles were good at this and uh, and, and, and the, the, the big changes were coming from Poland, not so, not so much from the Soviet Union. And then lots of, lots of things started happening. Um, uh, so I was pretty busy, including uh, in May, I was also in, in, in China. I went to photograph Gorbachev. Gorbachev came to to Peking or Beijing, um, and uh, I was sort of attached to Gorbachev in the sense that wherever Gorbachev travelled, I, I travelled with him. Uh, so I, I ended up in, in in Beijing, and that's where the students were had already been demonstrating for a month. I think I think they started occupying Tiananmen Square in April. 
course, what I didn't realize was that in a few weeks' time there would be a, a tragic ending to it all. The crowd is still here. They're shouting, stop the killing and down with the Then what else? Everything, I mean, then everything started happening. Then, of course, uh, you could see that the Germans were beginning to escape. The, the, the East German refugees uh, knew they couldn't go west, so they went east. They, they came to Budapest, uh, Prague and Warsaw, and they simply occupied the, um, the West German embassies. Uh, to force them to give them um, West German passports, and, uh, and uh, I remember being in, in mainly in, in, in Budapest and Prague, uh, sort of Hungary and Czechoslovakia, uh, and seeing these people coming through uh, the border with their West German passports. So geht's zu Bruch und nichts anderes. The wall came down in November, on November the 9th. I managed to get to Berlin on, on, uh, on, on early in the morning on, on November the, the 10th. I was, I was, well, you have to remember that uh, Chancellor Kohl was in, in Poland on an official visit on the 9th. Uh, still photographing um, you know, Chancellor Kohl with with Premier Mazowiecki and and, and Lech Wałęsa, um, and none of them realized that uh, in a few hours' time in, in in Berlin things would start happening. I didn't know that. Lech Wałęsa didn't know that. Uh, Kohl didn't know that. Mazowiecki didn't know that. Um, so so I was covering that visit. Uh, but then as soon as I got home in the evening and I heard on the on the television or the radio or, or whatever what was happening in Berlin. I simply knew that, uh, that that's where I had to be, in Berlin. And luckily, for some reason, I, I never realized why, but I guess I must have sort of felt things in the in the air. Several weeks before, I had bought a ticket from Warsaw to Berlin uh, on an East German Interflug flight to, to East, East Berlin uh, for 7 o'clock on, on the 10th of November. And why I'd bought that, who knows? It's just some sort of feeling I must have had. And so, so I could jump on the plane at 7 o'clock in the morning uh, whereas all the all the West German photographers who were in, in, in Warsaw then covering the visit, they were trying to get out uh, as soon as they could. Um, uh, even Chancellor Kohl was was came came to Berlin later than I did, so I was I was the first one there. So so from eight o'clock I was working in in, in Berlin you know, on both sides of Berlin. Fantastic! That, that was really the. Um, in, in all of '89, that was the most sort of euphoric uh, thing to happen, and that's why I guess some some of the world, parts of the world think that, um, and part, some people think that um, that it was the, the Germany who who, um, who who sort of ended communism in Europe. But um, they always forget that the hard work was done by the Poles. And so on and so on. After 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 Berlin, of course, it was Bulgarians, even Lithuania. The Soviet Republic of Lithuania uh, um, wanted to break away, but uh, they didn't manage it then. But they they made sure that the, the world knew that they were interested in this. Romania was at the end, of course, but um, there was so much going on. I just didn't manage to get there for for the for the for the big story in in, Bu in Bucharest when they they were when, when people were dying really because they were being shot by the secret police and the army and so on but i managed to get in just uh, i think just over new year actually so I, that that's sort of on the border of 89 and 90 
and I didn't go to Bucharest. I with with my with my correspondent, we went to um, just a small village in the north of uh, in the north of Romania to see what it was like. Not not in the in the capital. That was a wonderful year, but uh, it really sort of uh, burnt me out. I must say, I was pretty 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 tired after all that. Also, I knew that my, my job was finishing because I knew very well when the wall was coming down that uh, that my, my work, work for a magazine like Time would be, it might last a few more years, but basically I'd photographed communism all my life and, um, and, and the fight against communism and the, the, the effects of communism. And then, as it turned out, I was photographing the victory against communism. And um, so I knew that my, my story was was dying and uh, that you know what would I do well, what was my next step to 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 do as a photographer I was worried in the sense that uh, you know the, the the communist story was simply always full of adrenaline it was a, it was a great story whatever you wherever you went and uh, whatever you did it was just so interesting and and, and the, the adrenaline would sort of the pumping through your heart would simply uh, keep you going and um, and I, I just knew that once that was dying that that story had died then nothing else really would interest me and I wasn't really interested in photographing more so it was a question you know what to do next you know where, what, what what was going to happen next and and for the next few years you know the stories for, for the magazines were just weren't so interesting there was just the main, mainly business stories you know who who'd made a fortune and who, who'd lost the fortune by, by the fact that uh, communism was dying or dead uh, and the capitalism coming in. So, was, But these were stories which, for, for me, was just so uninteresting compared to what I'd been doing for the last 20-odd 20, 20 years. Um, so, yeah, I, I felt, uh, I sort of felt, as you say, at, at a loose end. So eventually I, I, um, I opened a studio in Warsaw with a, with a friend. Never made any money, but uh, it was interesting uh, to, to, to do it. So I, I lasted six years in that, but uh, and it was a great experience. I, I guess I was reborn when uh, the, the Law and Justice Party gained power in Poland, and then I immediately sort of redusted my cameras and came out on the streets. Uh, to photograph the the protests which were, have been going on for the last uh, last few years, so you know, whether it's raining, snowing, or nighttime or daytime, I was I tried to be at the at the protests and the, the demonstrations and the marches against the what was against what the government was doing. Um, so that kept me sort of it brought me back into the um, into that sort of photography which I thought I'd sort of I'd finished. I I, I didn't think. Uh, so ten years ago, I'd be out on the streets photographing uh, demonstrations anymore. But I, I felt compelled to do it because, seeing as I had photographed Polish history for so long, Polish and, and also East European and Soviet history for so long, I, ju I just felt uh, there's my duty to to carry on and documenting what was happening in Poland. And now, in my free time, I also play drums. This episode of The Final Curtain was produced for Culture PL and hosted by Adam Jawowski and me, Itan Reisner. If you want to learn more about the story you just heard, see the show notes in your podcast app or go to the Stories from the East and West website at sftew.com. Make sure to subscribe or check our feed next week. 
you'll get a chance to discover the story of Wojciech, a key person behind the outlawed and underground radio station, Radio Solidarność. See you then.